He's a rehab doctor from Chicago. She's an emergency medicine doctor from the Twin Cities. Together, we're examining the health equity emergency. Inviting voices for change without the cue cards. I'm Dr. Carrie Haley. I'm Dr. Steven Jackson. And And this this is is Off Off the the Charts. Charts. Welcome back, everybody, to our show. We have today Lee Grauman, who is a licensed social worker and director of training and policy implementation at Portico HealthNet. Welcome. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. I want to start this off thinking about, um, so you're here to really kind of help talk to us about Medicaid, specifically the re-enrollment with the Reconciliation Act. Mm -hmm. Can we first start off with maybe talking about what is Medicaid? Because I feel like there's a lot of terms that are thrown out there right now, Mm -hmm. but um, (laughs) the big term, Medicaid, which is what we're talking about, what is that and who does it apply to? Absolutely. So Medicaid is a public health care program for people with low income. And in Minnesota, our Medicaid program is called Medical Assistance, or MA. So you might hear people referring to having MA or enrolling in medical assistance. What they're talking about is our programs, our state's Medicaid program. There was a what's called a Reconciliation Act passed at the end of 2022, and it made some significant changes that affect families every day. One thing I think is important to know is kind of what a renewal is or what a redetermination is, because that's really what we're talking about with this change, right? So typically, when people are enrolled in the Medicaid program, they get their health insurance through Medicaid, they're typically required to complete something called a renewal or a redetermination once a year. And essentially what that is, is sending in paperwork or proofs of your income, for example, to confirm that you're still eligible for that program and that your health insurance coverage can continue. During the COVID-19 public health emergency, those renewals were put on pause. So starting in March of 2020, there were these continuous coverage protection rules that were put in place that made it so people didn't have to complete that renewal process every year. We wanted people to be able to maintain their coverage during the height of a global pandemic, be able to access the services and testing and care that they needed. So renewals were on pause for three years. People were able to maintain their Medicaid medical assistance coverage during that time. And we now have more people enrolled in the program than ever before. There's 1.5 million Minnesotans, one in four Minnesotans, who have their health insurance through a public health program, so either Medicaid or our Minnesota Care program. Mm-hmm. And now that these continuous coverage rules expired, which is what you were referring to, Dr. Jackson, they yes. expired at the end of March. Now those renewals have to start again. So that means that 1.5 million Minnesotans are going to have to take action sometime between now and May of 2024 to have their eligibility renewed. And if they don't take that action, they'll lose their coverage. Number one, that's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure with, with that number of people, there are some and maybe many that aren't aware of the implications of this act. They may not even be aware that there was an act passed mm-hmm. that's going to affect them directly. So uh, what challenges, and some kind of go without saying, but just you know, from your expert lens, what, what challenges is that, does that you know, pose immediately? There's so much concern, right, going into this renewal 
process. The most recent survey that I've seen, Kaiser Family did a survey of Medicaid enrollees and found that 65% of people enrolled in Medicaid are unaware that renewals will be resuming. 65%. 65%. That's a lot of people who answer a survey specifically too. Wow. So those are people who are unaware that they're going to need to take some action to maintain their coverage in the coming year. So that's a huge concern. The other thing that I think comes into play with this is we know that throughout this, they're calling it the unwinding, kind of this first year of renewals restarting again. During this unwinding period, people will lose coverage due to no longer being eligible, right? Maybe someone first applied when they were laid off during the pandemic, they enrolled in medical assistance, our state's Medicaid program, but now they have a new job, they're earning more income, they're no longer eligible. Some Mm -hmm. people will lose coverage for that reason, and, and that's an accurate eligibility determination. What we're really concerned about is the people who are going to lose coverage simply because of technical reasons, simply because of not completing the paperwork. We are recording this in June, right? I understand it's going to come out in September, but right now in June, nationwide, we know that over a million people have already lost their Medicaid coverage. And 76% of them, 76% lost that coverage, not because of eligibility reasons, but simply because they didn't fully complete that paperwork. That's that's those are astounding numbers. I mean, that's yeah. kind of crazy to even wrap your head around, specifically because it's all based on a paperwork or a technicality or a, a small piece that maybe they didn't know what they needed. So what so to help people through this process, like what kind of things do they need for that paperwork? What information should they be looking for? What should they be gathering in order to continue or re-enroll into Medicaid? Very good question. I've got a few few answers for you. So the first thing I think that's so important is for us to just be raising awareness as much as we can, which is part of why I'm so grateful to be having this conversation with all of you, right? If we're talking about one in four Minnesotans who are going to need to take action to maintain their coverage in the year ahead, that's our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors. So talking mm-hmm. to people is an important step. Actions that people can take to help ensure that they're able to successfully get through that renewal process. Number one is making sure that your contact information is up to date with your county of residence. So the way that the renewal process works, it's paper-based, it's sent through the mail, and it's going to be mailed to the address that is on file with your county. So if you've moved within the past three years and haven't updated that address with your county, your renewal paperwork's going to that old address, you're not going to receive it, and you're at risk of losing coverage. So updating that contact information is really important. Um, There's a website. The Department of Human Services put together a website that has the phone numbers for all of the different counties where people can call. Um, And that's something that navigator organizations like Portico and health plans are helping with those address updates as well. So the contact information is step one. I think the other thing is opening and responding to mail from the Department of Human Services. <laughs> it sounds nope, that's simple, but um, it, it can be very overwhelming for people receiving paperwork and not knowing what to open. So they're sending out the renewal notices in Minnesota with a special envelope that has a blue circle on it, and it says important information open right away. If you receive that envelope, open it. It means that you have to take action to maintain your health insurance. It's not spam. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Please take note for those that are listening. And that's Mm -hmm. another thing, too, to see an example of what that looks like. The Department of Human Services has pictures of it on their website. They're really trying to get the word out. So opening and responding to that mail. I think the other thing is connecting to 
navigators. So organizations like Portico, we have trained certified navigators on staff, and our whole job is helping people apply and renew their coverage. And we are based in communities. We speak multiple languages. We provide Mm. our services free of charge. So for people who need help, connecting with that help is really important. And Portico is a great organization. There's hundreds of navigators throughout the state. Minsure has an assister directory where you can look up and find a navigator in your area. You can search by language spoken. So connecting with help, I think, is another important piece of that puzzle. Yeah, those are those are really good actionable steps. And, you know, it, it makes me think about, you know, some of the some of the inequities that are properly um, perpetuated by all this. And, you know, for example, if you are a person of low income mm-hmm. and perhaps maybe you don't have Internet access or maybe you don't have a TV in your home or you don't have access to this type of information, then you are probably going to lose coverage. Speak a little bit to maybe some of the inequities that that we see and play a big role in some of what we're talking about. Anytime that the renewal process happens, like I mentioned, there's people who lose coverage because there's no lo- they're no longer eligible, and there are people who lose coverage just because they're not able to complete that paperwork. Going into this huge undertaking that we're embarking on with the resumption of renewals, It's hard to predict how many people are going to lose coverage because Mm -hmm. of not completing paperwork. But we have years and years of history and experience in this state to tell us the groups that are most likely to lose their coverage for these procedural reasons, Mm -hmm. right? It's people of color. It's people who speak a primary language other than English. It's people who are experiencing homelessness or move a lot. People with low income which is the very population that the Medicaid program is designed to support. Exactly. It's difficult Mm -hmm. to complete the paperwork, but also just report and prove your income when you're in that situation where you maybe are working multiple jobs or your income varies, right? So there's all these barriers. So we know the populations that are most at risk for losing coverage. And we also know those aren't distinct populations, right? But there's a lot of overlap that can just make those inequities even worse. So are there any boots on the ground efforts, maybe from Portico or other, you know, other navigators that are out there that can do something as simple as knocking on doors or holding a town hall or setting up some sort of easy access program to get the information out there? What's out there to help? So as I mentioned, we've got many, many navigators all throughout the state that are doing great work to try to get the word out and connect with people and help them through this process. We have navigator organizations who are based in community are trying to meet people where they already are at, at their church, at their Mm -hmm. school, at their clinic, um, to provide that information and then that hands-on support for people who need it, right? We have people doing really targeted outreach to zip codes where we Mm -hmm. know that there's a high population of people that are going to need Mm -hmm. to renew Mm -hmm. um, and need that support. So that's happening. What I think I also want to say about that is the the demand is going to outweigh the capacity of our navigator organizations. We're talking about community-based organizations that were hit hard during the pandemic and we're doing the best that we can to staff up to, to meet this need. But there's a lot of challenges in that space as well. Can you speak to if you know of any, like what can healthcare organizations do? So I'm, I'm just thinking, mm-hmm. you know, we have, I work in the emergency department. And when we have patients come in, we have a person who registers them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they're able to help 
discuss like financial pieces? Is this something that we could look at with healthcare organizations to also when we have that point of contact with someone who we know is already a Medicaid patient by our records to prompt them about re-enrollment or connect them with another group in their community? Yes, absolutely. I think with all of this, it's as I mentioned a couple times now, a huge undertaking. It's really kind of an all hands on deck moment, right? So for health systems that have access to information around the type of health insurance that a person has, looking for ways to incorporate that into your interactions with patients, whatever that might be, right? Do you know that you're going to need to renew? Mm. Do you have a plan mm -hmm. for that? To take it even a step further, for organizations that have access to actual renewal months, that's going to be really timely and specific information that you can share with your patients. So some people are able to look up someone's start date and might mm -hmm. be able to estimate when they're going to need to renew their coverage. You can give specific guidance around when a person will need to take action. I think that piece is really important. I've heard people talking about connecting with patients in new ways. So text message reminders, calls out to people who are going to be due to renew. Maybe there could be messages in an electronic medical record mm -hmm. portal thing like that to pop up and, and encourage people to take Social those Social media, who knows? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's going to take everything. I was quite surprised to hear you say that the renewals are all by paper. <laughs> we just went back 30 years, you know. Um, I'm just and maybe, maybe you don't know the answer to this, but I'm just wondering why that hasn't been updated, quote unquote. You know, why isn't it electronic or at least why isn't there an electronic option for 2023? Any thoughts on that? Non-incriminating ones. <laughs> First, I just want to share your pain <laughs> at the thought of these forms. And really, I mean, I'm giggling, but it's, it's a significant barrier, right? Mm -hmm. We are talking about 13 pages that are being mailed out to people in English, mm -mm. and they need to go in and fill in the information and sign it and send it back. It's ridiculous. It's an onerous process. I know that there were some efforts to try to stand up an online option that we're not able to, to come together in time. Okay. But I think that one of the things that certainly we're continuing to push for at our organization that I think we need as a community to push for is is changes in the administration of these programs, right? I mean, if we talk for a moment about our, we have our MNsure online application, right? And we have people who mm -hmm. enroll in qualified health plans through MNsure. They tend to be people with higher income. If you are enrolled in a qualified health plan through MNsure, you can log into your online account report changes online, see all of this information. <laughs> We're able to do it for that population. Mm -hmm. Our Medicaid enrollees deserve that same type of access, and it's non-existent at this point. I'm so glad you said that. People just need to know that, mm -hmm. that there are differences, and there are inherent differences in the system that, again, perpetuate inequities and disparities and it's almost like we're shooting ourselves on the foot mm -hmm. by not uh, making certain changes. I'm curious as to what is your why? I mean, obviously, you're very passionate about this work, and it's definitely needed work to get the word out and to assist those that need assistance. Mm -hmm. You know, if I can uh, state it simply, uh, what is your why? What makes you passionate about what you do? You know, I have been with Portico HealthNet for 15 years now. So I started back when I was 
fresh out of college, meeting, I worked as a community health worker. I was meeting directly with people, helping them complete these very same forms. 15 years ago, we've got the same process, unfortunately. (laughs) But meeting with people in the community, helping them apply and enroll in coverage, and just kind of seeing that relief that can come from knowing that you have coverage, that you're not going to be stuck with bills, was what initially brought me to the work. I've been there for 15 years now, right? And so the roles that I've held in our organization and our kind of healthcare landscape in Minnesota has changed a lot over that time. But for me, it's really just been that connection to our mission, which is increasing equitable access to to coverage in Minnesota um, for all Minnesotans. I think that work, I don't know, it's just part of my heart. It's what I'm, I'm so, I think there's a part of me that's like, I've got a little tenacity too. I like to kind of just fight against the systems. And in yeah. this work, mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's as simple as just one pay stub is the thing that's keeping someone from accessing the coverage that they're eligible for. We're going to get that in and we're going to get that person <laughs> coverage, you know? Um, so part of it is that that tenacity piece. But more than anything, it's just that connection connection to the mission. And I'm really grateful to do this work and to get to do it alongside a really talented and passionate team. That's awesome. That is really awesome. Does your team foresee any challenges in particular with this renewal? Because it's going to be such a, I'm going to just say massive dump of people, (laughs) honestly, that are up for this re-enrollment because they have not needed to do that in the last three years. And it's going to, I know it's kind of rolled out over a year, but still that million people mm-hmm. in our state mm-hmm. that's a lot of people a lot. for a system that is paper based to be <sighs> approved and people to do what they need to do what does your group feel or foresee the challenges associated with that so many challenges associated with it right so part <laughs> of it is it's an unfamiliar process to people who are enrolled in the program and we've talked about this a little bit just getting the word out providing that support Having an adequate navigator workforce to provide that hands-on support for people who need it is one thing. We're also really concerned about the workforce at the county and state level, the people who need to process all of this paperwork. I was thinking the same thing. That's a lot of processing. (laughs) Right. And so what happens if the counties are falling behind on processing? And does that mean that people could have a gap in coverage? Um, One of the things I'll say is just this is such a unique time and the guidance from the federal level is evolving. So who two months from now when this comes out, there might be different things in place. So I like to see that there's been some creativity around how can we do things a little bit differently? Can we extend deadlines? Things like that. But yeah, we have a lot of concern just from a workforce alone standpoint. Mm -hmm. I think one other thing that's important to talk about as part of this um, conversation, I know we're focusing on renewals, but kind of just getting back to our earlier conversation, Dr. Jackson is like, yes, renewals is happening and there's so much attention on this process right now, which is warranted. It's a huge undertaking. Mm -hmm. But this is happening at a time where we have already just really significant disparities in terms of access to health insurance Mm -hmm. across race and ethnicity in our state. So during the COVID-19 public health emergency over the past three years, Minnesota's statewide uninsured rate reached a historic low. We have 4% of Minnesotans who are uninsured. That's great. However, during that same time period, if we look at BIPOC Minnesotans, the uninsured rate actually increased from around 7% uninsured to over 10% uninsured. And that's even with all of these 
protections in place and not having not mm-hmm. being required to complete wow. a renewal. Mm-hmm. So we've got existing and worsening disparities in terms of access to health insurance in our state. The concern is that that's going to get even worse as we go throughout this renewal process. Yeah, it's a bit, I don't know, it's a bit scary because there's no, there's no quick solution. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we need people like you and your team and other teams that have, have committed to, I mean, doing the hard doing the hard work. I mean, you know, Carrie, it is hard work. You said a million people. Yeah. I mean, that's that's astounding. Yeah, you know, you I, can't, I can't even, even really grasp yeah, that number. I can't, I can't you can't that. grasp that number, and that's people who may lose coverage to their health insurance plan, their mm-hmm. access to health care. Mm-hmm. This is obviously a problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a problem. It's a it's a it's a blaring problem. Uh, is there any assistance from state or federal entities? Because I mean, you know, there are a lot of, you know, you got the Affordable Care Act. I mean, you, you just have a lot of things mm-hmm. that were put forth to help as many people as possible. What are the big wigs saying about this? And are they saying, well, let's jump in and help? I mean, you know, what's what's up with that that uh, that arena? Thankfully, there were. There was legislation passed in this most recent session in Minnesota that allowed for more funding for counties and states to staff up to meet this need, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to get more creative around how they're reaching out to people. So the Department of Human Services is texting enrollees about um, Medicaid enrollments. That's a first. You know, that's something that's new. So that's happening. Um, There's been some additional funding for community-based organizations, Mm -hmm. navigator organizations who are doing that work. So that's been positive to see. I think there's much more that's needed. And the other thing that I that I try to keep bringing up and pushing for when having these conversations is it seems to me that our focus, especially around the funding right now, is just on this one-year unwinding period. Mm-hmm. And yes, we need support, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done over this next year. But the work is not going to end 12 months yeah, from now. These right. are long-standing yep. problems yep. and supports that are needed. And so we really need to think beyond this next year when we're thinking about solutions uh, moving forward. Hmm. That's a lot just to sit and think about, mm-hmm. honestly. Because um, I, I feel like as a provider, you know, we don't necessarily think about this day-to-day and it's not at the top of our radar by any means right um but it's such an important thing for our patients Mm -hmm. that even in the provider world thinking about getting the word out not just to the people it affects but the providers that the pay of the patients so they can talk to their patients about it or talk Mm -hmm. to their people about it because it's it's so it's so important so so important and it's really scary to think about that it really there's Not we don't have a specific plan. There's not there's not one special little thing that we can do to make it all better or mm-hmm. to make the problem suddenly become easier. It is a lot of hard work for this problem, and there's not a clear solution to it. How can we as uh, healthcare and, and maybe we've alluded to that somewhat, but as healthcare providers, you know, like myself, Dr. Haley, what can we do? Is there something that we can do in the doctor's office? Your doctor's office is a little bit different than mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little louder, probably. A little louder, a little more emergent. But, but you know, is there something that you, is there a message you can kind of speak to or send to healthcare providers across the nation in terms of what we can do in our purview to maybe contribute some way in, in, in making this less of a problem? 
Thank you so much for that question. Um, I think, again, it gets back to first just high-level raising awareness. Do you know if you have Medicaid, you're going to have to take action to maintain mm-hmm. your coverage mm-hmm. in the next year? And then if we can be more specific with the timing around that, people have no idea what month they're going to need to renew in general, right? right? It's Mm -hmm. tied to the time you first applied for medical assistance, which maybe was three years ago. People have no idea. There's a website where people can go online, the DHS Renew My Coverage website, where you can look up your renewal month. So that's a resource I want people to be aware of. But as providers, if you have access to those renewal dates or your billing departments do, sharing that with Patience is huge. And I think Hmm. proactive, direct outreach to people that's specific to them around the time that they need to renew is going to be really essential. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know personally, you know, uh, I've been educated. Oh, yeah. I've been definitely educated. I mean, I've I've heard about this, but I feel like, wow, now that I know more, I'm even more concerned (laughs) about, uh, you know, its impact or its potential Mm -hmm. impact. I mean, I, I'm going to commit to doing some some digging mm-hmm. myself. Uh, I'm I'm curious as to how much groups like patient financial services, like what role do they play in this, or do they play a role in this, and those kinds of things. Because I'd like to help. I mean, this is this is happening, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and we gotta gotta think about that. Yeah, I was just trying to think, brainstorm while we were talking. Like, what's something that I could do? And I mean, one <laughs> thing really easy is probably getting that website and just putting it in my discharge paperwork mm-hmm. for people who are discharged with Medicaid. Yeah. Say, look this up and remember to re-enroll. And I can make a dot yeah. phrase out of that. Like I can, it, that's super that's easy. True. And that's something that's we can share for everybody. And that can be in everyone's, everyone gets that piece of paper when they get discharged or their su- clinic summary. It's all there. You can that's easily true. put that in there. I love that idea. There's so many resources yeah. hmm. um, out there. And like I mentioned, there's this DHS website. They put a lot of work into it. You can go on there. You can look up your renewal date. You can see what the envelope is going to look like. There's a video you can watch to understand how to complete the forms. They've translated the website into a number of different languages. I question how how much that website is actually getting through to the people who mm-hmm. need it. So as much as we can be including links and things like that, I, I love that idea. And I think just making sure people are aware that there is free help available in the community. Minsure navigators can really help to meet this need, especially when we're thinking about this from an equity perspective. Yes. Um, we're a crucial part of that solution. And so, again, I'll just plug the the assister directory on minsure.org. You can look up and find an assister in your area that speaks your language and that can help walk you through this process. That's excellent. Thank you yeah. for saying that. And uh, ever so often uh, we have episodes where, you know, I, I think about the the title of our podcast. It's off the charts, examining the health equity emergency. This is a health equity emergency. Thank you for educating us and opening our eyes to an issue that we we can all contribute in uh, in making better. So thank you for your expertise and and your passion for this work. Yes, thank you so much for being here and sharing all this wonderful information that we will work ourselves on continuing yes. to inform. Thank you so much for having this conversation and for the opportunity to join you. Appreciate it. Off the Charts is a production of Health Partners and Park Nicollet. It is recorded by Jimmy Bellamy with creative by Peggy Arnson, Tina Long, Tim Myers, and Jeff Jondahl. Production services provided by Matriarch Digital Media. Our theme music is by Ryan Ike.